Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 28th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. NFL teams earned what could be an important victory this month as the California WCAB handed down a ruling against an NFL player. The NFL and the NFL Players Association have been battling over workers' compensation rights, with California sitting at the center of the fight. California has allowed retired NFL players to file workers' compensation claims in the state so long as they played at least one game in their career within the state. Players elect to file in California because the state generally provides higher workers' compensation benefit payouts than many other states. Additionally, the statute of limitations is longer in California, which means players are filing years after they retired. Retired defensive end Vaughn Booker filed workers' compensation claims against the Cincinnati Bengals, Kansas City Chiefs, and the Green Bay Packers in California based upon having played one game in California in 2001 as a member of the Bengals. The board ruled against Booker on several grounds. Most importantly, the board stated they would not assume subject matter jurisdiction over the case because Booker's contract with the Bengals included a forum selection clause. Addendum 2 of Booker's contract stated that Booker agreed that any workers' compensation claim shall be brought solely and exclusively with the Industrial Commission of Ohio. The board pointed out that the player contract was not an adhesion contract where the player has little or no ability to negotiate terms more favorable. Additionally, the board pointed out the reasonable nature of requiring the use of an Ohio forum. The WCAB decision does not stand as binding precedent on any other court or even on the board's own future decisions. It does, however, provide the NFL and its teams with persuasive evidence they can use in future cases. An injured City of Los Angeles helicopter pilot lost his FIHA claim against the city. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Stephen L. Robinson versus the City of Los Angeles. Robinson was employed by the City of Los Angeles as a fire department helicopter pilot. In 1998, he was involved in an on-duty helicopter crash that left him permanently disabled and unable to retain the Federal Aviation Administration medical clearance necessary to be a pilot. The department approved a light-duty position developing the fire department's incident mapping unit, receiving the same base salary and pilot hazard pay bonus. In 2007, the city administrative officer ordered that all light-duty personnel currently in unbudgeted positions be moved into budgeted positions. Accordingly, Robinson participated in the fire department's reasonable accommodation interactive process and was placed as a dispatcher, retaining his firefighter three civil service classification and salary, but no longer receiving the pilot hazard pay bonus. Robinson then filed a FIHA lawsuit alleging causes of action for disability discrimination, failure to offer reasonable accommodations, and failure to engage in an interactive process <clears throat> to identify a reasonable accommodation. Although he admittedly could no longer fly, he alleged the city refused to transfer him to the position of fire helicopter pilot or place him as a captain in any of several other positions. Robinson alleged the city's explanation 
that he was not qualified for these positions was pretextual. The trial court granted the city's motion for summary judgment, finding there were no triable issues as to whether a light-duty assignment for helicopter pilots existed or whether Robinson was qualified to be classified as a fire helicopter pilot. Robinson appealed. And the Court of Appeal, in the unpublished opinion of Stephen L. Robinson versus the City of Los Angeles, affirmed the dismissal of his case. FIHA does not obligate an employer to choose the best accommodation or the specific accommodation a disabled employee or applicant seeks. It requires only that the accommodation chosen be reasonable. Robinson did not and cannot establish a prima facie case of FIHA discrimination because he cannot show that he was qualified for any existing position he sought. The trial court's grant of summary judgment was therefore affirmed. And now our fraud report. Allstate Insurance Company continues its aggressive assault against fraud and organized crime. Allstate is seeking to recover $14 million against 111 New York area defendants in its fourth insurance fraud lawsuit of 2012. The complaint filed under the Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act alleges that the defendants engaged in schemes in which fraudulent and misleading bills were submitted to Allstate for durable medical equipment, medical supplies, and orthotic devices. The complaint cites 49 DME retail companies and 41 individual owners and 16 wholesale DME companies and five individual owners of those companies. Since 2003, Allstate has filed 40 fraud lawsuits in New York State seeking more than $217 million in damages. Officials say New York is an insurance fraud crisis and no-fault fraud is costing New Yorkers millions of dollars year after year in higher premiums. Among the allegations that complaint are that the defendants allegedly submitted or facilitated the submission of fraudulent and misleading bills and supporting documents to Allstate for reimbursement under New York's no-fault law. The lawsuit is the latest in a string of actions taken by the insurer to protect consumers from these and similar activities. Investigators have voiced concern about the growth in counterfeit prescriptions that have played a role in the surge of prescription drug abuse. One notable case occurred in Riverside County, where authorities found Dr. Lisa Barden had pads of prescriptions stolen from a dozen doctors to obtain Vicodin and Oxycontin. In Barden's case, not only was she faking other doctor signatures, she also stole patients' identities in order to score more than 30,000 painkiller pills. She eventually pled guilty to more than 270 felony counts. There's a growing sentiment among law enforcement and some legislators that it no longer makes sense to rely on paper scripts that can be stolen or fabricated. Instead, a direct link from a doctor to a pharmacy may be the best and more cost-effective solution. That shift is slowly underway as the federal government offers bonus payments for doctors who voluntarily ditch the paper. California did away with its triplicate prescription seven years ago with tamper-resistant security forms that aimed at reducing fraud. But much like counterfeiting U.S. currency, 
Criminals found a way to make their own batch of scripts to get powerful painkillers like OxyContin. Sergeant Steve Operman, the head of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Healthcare Fraud Task Force, said that with computers these days, crooks have the tools. The problem is the paperwork always looks legitimate, so it's hard to spot for a deputy who is working patrol. Law enforcement usually is not up to speed on this issue. Opferman has seen prescription pads that are good knockoffs, and he's found others that have been signed by someone posing as a doctor who had recently died. Most states, including California, employ a database that allows doctors, law enforcement, and pharmacies to determine if patients are filling more than their fair amount of prescriptions. And in regulatory news, CalOSHA issued 36 citations totaling nearly $40,000 in penalties to American Reclamation, Inc., its recycling subsidiary, South Coast Fibers, Inc., and their staffing agency, Steno Employment Services, Inc. American Reclamation, Inc. is a solid waste company headquartered in Los Angeles that operates refuge collection trucks in Los Angeles County and delivers the waste to landfills. South Coast Fibers purchases, processes, and markets all recyclables such as cardboard boxes, glass, metal, plastic, and paper. Steno Employment Services provides workers' compensation insurance and payroll services to both companies. The investigation was triggered last November by a complaint from a Southern California advocacy group about unsafe conditions. One of the citations issued were for violations of standards on confined space entry procedures. Kalosha has a special focus on confined space hazards this year to prevent workers' deaths and serious injuries. Last year, seven workers died in California workplaces when they entered confined spaces without an appropriate written plan, adequate training, and supervision. Kalosha issued five serious violations, including a failure to follow a written program to prevent workers' entry into machinery before the energy is shut off and unsafe work platform raised on a forklift, and various unguarded pieces of machinery that could lead to amputations and other serious injuries. The investigation also revealed multiple violations for the three employers, which included no permit required confined space entry programs, no heat illness prevention training, no drinking water for drivers and helpers in the field, and an inadequate injury and illness prevention program. The Workers' Compensation Research Institute reports that the costs per claim of medical treatment for injured workers in California are going rapidly higher after large decreases that resulted from system reforms in prior years. According to the WCIR's, WCRI study, medical payments per workers' compensation claim in California rose about 8% per year from 2005 to 2009. These increases followed an overall decrease of about 30% from 2002 to 2005 due to the comprehensive Schwarzenegger reforms. Officials said the growth in medical payments was driven by both increases in the utilization of medical care and prices for some services. Use of medical services in California increased moderately starting in 2006. Other medical cost drivers included more frequent billing for complex office visits with higher prices. Increases in the percentage of claims that received major radiology services, 
a rise in prices paid for office visits due to large fee schedule increases, and increases in costs for hospital outpatient and or ambulatory surgical center services due to regulation updates. Medical cost containment expenses and medical legal expenses per claim also grew rapidly. A new California Workers' Compensation Institute study finds that the widespread use of narcotic painkillers to treat work-related injuries has fueled exponential growth in the use of drug testing. The Institute estimated the cost of drug testing at $98 million in 2011. The authors of the study tracked 27 procedure codes used to reimburse drug testing visits that took place during an eight-year time span. A total of nearly 500,000 drug testing encounters were identified in the study sample. Single drug screens were the most common drug tests performed on injured workers, accounting for one out of three drug testing visits and nearly half of all charges and payments. A huge increase in drug testing coincided with the dramatic growth in the volume of major narcotics such as OxyContin, fentanyl, morphine, and methadone dispensed to injured workers. At the same time, the average amount paid per drug testing visit quadrupled from $36 in 2004 to $148 in 2011. California has about 25 active self-insurance groups serving nearly 4,000 private employers who pool their funds to pay workers' compensation claims. Known as SIGs, they can help lower costs and better control claims. In some years, members may even receive a share of profits. But the news is not very good for the California Restaurant Mutual Benefit Corporation, a self-insured workers' compensation group. Their SIG is hitting members with assessments for tens of thousands of dollars or more after the state said it needed $42 million more to stay solvent. Risks of self-insurance were highlighted four years ago by the insolvency of New York-based compensation risk managers. Companies belonging to the eight self-insurance groups it ran, including one in California, had to shoulder a shortfall in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And the industry nationwide got a black eye. A few years ago, California regulators hired Bickmore Risk Services in Sacramento to manage a failed group and to audit six randomly chosen self-insurance groups. The state also is looking to contract with a forensic accounting specialist who would keep an eye on groups as well as large companies that self-insure individually. As it is, California's regulations on self-insurance groups are considered among the strictest in the country. Rules include conflict of interest provisions and higher funding requirements. California's Labor Enforcement Task Force has announced a new public hotline for California workers and employers. DIR Director Christine Baker said that this hotline is another step towards ensuring that workers and employers have somewhere to report on lawful work activities. She says that the hotline will be a valuable tool to gather information to bring into compliance those employers who treat workplace safety and wage and hour laws as a nuisance. Businesses operating underground generally violate those laws that are designed to protect workers and California's economy. Skirting income taxes, not carrying workers' compensation insurance, and paying employees less than what they are owed are common practices of underground businesses. 
These underground operations subsequently require lower overhead, giving an unfair advantage to the illegal businesses over legitimate law-abiding employers. Complaints will be screened and prioritized in order to catch the most egregious offenders. And in other news, Stephen Festa, the employer's insurance senior vice president and chief claims officer, has been named chairman of the Board of Governors of the California Insurance Guarantee Association. SEGA pays the claims of insolvent property and casualty insurance carriers. Prior to being elected chairman, Mr. Festa most recently served as the SEGA board's vice chair. Festa first joined the SEGA board in 2009, representing employers as an insurer member, and he remains the only C-level claims executive to serve on the board. Wayne Wilson, executive director of SEGA, said he was honored to have Stephen serve as chairman of the SEGA board. Mr. Festa has served as Senior Vice President and Chief Claims Officer of Employers and its subsidiary, Employers Compensation Insurance Company, since 2004. He has more than 25 years of industry experience. And with that, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for WorkCom Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.